0: This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Former President Donald Trump is eligible to run as a candidate in New Hampshire's presidential primary next year, despite his involvement in the events leading to the January 6th insurrection. That's according to the State Attorney General and Secretary of State. And the State Board of Education, considering whether to allow a conservative media group to provide online classes to New Hampshire high schoolers, that decision coming yesterday, here with us to talk it all over our NHPR's Josh Rogers. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Ryan. And the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Good morning. Good morning. First, Ethan, I want to start with you. Secretary of State Dave Scanlon has been getting lots of attention in the past uh, month over the issue of Donald Trump's eligibility on the primary ballot. Can you tell us what he had to say this week?
1: Sure. So the um, challenge here revolves around the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And there is a clause in there that says that a person cannot hold any federal office in the United States if they had previously engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. That's a quote from Section 3 of the U.S. 14th Amendment. So this has been... uh a. idea that has kind of percolated in some legal circles in the last few months over whether former President Donald Trump uh, and his actions ahead of the January 6th insurrection, whether those actions preclude him under that 14th Amendment from running for office again. Um, And this the last few weeks, the Secretary of State in New Hampshire has kind of faced that We've had uh, a a former U.S. Senate candidate, Corky Messner, raise this. uh, And then we've had a long-shot presidential candidate from Texas actually file a lawsuit in New Hampshire. So this week, the Secretary of State responded to that along with the New Hampshire Attorney General and essentially said that the state of New Hampshire does not believe that this 14th Amendment argument applies here and that they don't believe that um, the former President Trump... Is disqualified from running in the New Hampshire presidential primary because New Hampshire's state statute that determines who can run in a, a, who can run for president does not uh, mention the Fourteenth Amendment and instead is uh, tied to the other parts of the Constitution, um, and uh, thus it doesn't apply.
0: So essentially, saying the the, the federal the Fourteenth Amendment clause just has no bearing on state law.
1: Yeah, that was the argument that Scanlon presented. This is um, Secretary of State Scanlon, and it was backed up by a letter from Attorney General John Formella. This was always seen to be sort of a long shot case, but it has appeared in other states across the country. And so this was sort of uh, an attempt by Scanlan and by Formella to kind of put this to bed. Uh, they pointed to the state statute in New Hampshire, which refers to Article II of the Constitution. So that is the one that many people know. You have to be a natural born citizen to run for president. You have to be at least 35 years old and you have to have lived in the US for at least 14 years. That is explicitly stated in New Hampshire statute. But the other aspect, you know, regarding um, engaging in insurrection or rebellion, that isn't referenced and they said it had no legal bearing.
0: Josh, state Republican officials have been publicly pressuring uh, Scanlon to allow Trump to be granted ballot access during next year's presidential primary. How much uh, effect did they have, you think?
2: I'm not sure what effect they had. If any, frankly, 80 Republicans, uh, state elected officials, uh, wrote to Secretary of State Scanlon. And, you know, signatories on that letter included state Senate President Jeb Bradley and House Speaker Sherman Packard. Uh, this letter was released publicly by the Trump campaign, among other things, it described the the Fourteenth Amendment uh, rationale for for barring Trump from the ballot, uh, an absurd conspiracy theory, and a quote fraud against the will of the people. Um, you know, I'm not sure this letter had any effect. I mean, this was released to the public uh, a day before Scanlon was set to make the 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 announcement that that Ethan was referring to. Um, you know, and there is reason to believe uh, that David Scanland relied on his own judgment and the Attorney General's advice. And you know it's interesting though, the letter that from the Attorney General memo that Ethan mentioned described the Secretary of State's role uh, in this regard as almost ministerial, meaning you know if you're a candidate and you check the boxes you need to to participate you meet the qualifications that Ethan was mentioning, um, that essentially you'd be deemed good to go. Uh, There is also no doubt that uh, David Scanlon was cognizant of the fact that he'd be walking into a real political storm if he he tried to take some sort of line that Trump shouldn't be on the ballot and do so unilaterally. Um, He stressed that if this decision needs to be made, it should be made by the U.S. Supreme Court. And um, during the general election, not during the primary, which is really a a sort of a delegate assigning uh, process in terms of uh, the way uh, Secretary of State Scanlon sees it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ethan, what was the reaction after Scanlon's announcement yesterday?
2: Well, obviously, from the Trump side, it was uh,
1: this, as I said earlier, is one of the first. Uh, sort of test cases for this legal theory. We've seen it in other states, and so I think that uh, you know Trump world saw it as sort of a green light to um, keep moving and kind of a uh, a, a defeat of this idea. Um, and it also comes right before the filing period, which was announced on the same press uh, conference. So we'll be seeing candidates and presumably either representative or the former president himself start to file in the state house next month. So the, again, the timing I think uh, was sort of coordinated in that. Sense so that, um, you know, there's no doubt anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. Also this week, New Hampshire's Attorney General dismissed legal concerns over the possible state approval of a financial literacy educational program from PragerU, the conservative media company, looking to provide some online coursework to New Hampshire high school students. Ethan, let's review that a bit. What is PragerU?
1: PragerU is a conservative organization that it's basically... a. You can see it's sort of a media company, and it was co-founded by this man named Dennis Prager. He's a conservative talk show commentator. Uh, They primarily produce videos, uh, often kind of short and slick, aimed at both adults and kids. uh, And they are um, conservative-leaning, right-leaning. A lot of the videos um, present a, a strong viewpoint. So they range, not all are, you know, are, are um, directed at schools, but they range from topics like raising skepticism around climate change, um, you know, the causes of the civil war. Um, some of them are overtly political where they kind of talk about the, the Democratic Party or liberalism. And um, and so that's company's been around for a while. What they've done uh, as well as they've created some materials that are geared towards schools and towards kids. And one of those. Courses is called Cash Course, and this is uh, a series of 15 five-minute videos that are aimed to teach financial literacy, and that was sort of the center of this debate.
0: Okay, so so what is the specific course offering here? This is just—is this a limited course offering? Is this some material? What's 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 on offer here?
1: Yeah, so Cash Course, as I noted, it is uh, sort of a subset of this over this media company's offerings, and it's essentially. 15 five-minute videos on everything from how to fill out a W-2 tax form, how to invest, how to take out a loan. Uh, you know, each video is presented in a way that sort of involves kind of young actors and is is uh, sort of um, flashy and easy to watch um, and digestible. And in create, together as one package, Prager, you approached New Hampshire and um, presented this package as as something that could be taught as an alternative to financial literacy in schools. And New Hampshire has a program that allows for that. It's called Learn Everywhere. It ha- was launched a few years ago and it allows outside companies or organizations to offer educational programs that public school students can take and then get credit for mm-hmm. towards their graduation. So that was, what was that state here?
0: And so this is, this is going to be offered now. This has been, been approved by the State Board of Education, correct?
1: Yes, that was approved yesterday. With a five to zero vote, and it came after a month of very contentious campaign. Basically, um, Prager U, um, in its scope, of videos not uh, you know beyond these financial literacy videos there are a lot of videos that the that the organization has made more generally that a lot of um, educators and progressives have opposed and, and have pointed to you know things that um, they say denigrate LGBTq people that raise um, skepticism over climate change that kind of downplay uh, you know structural racism etc and a lot of that came up as objections to the state approving uh, content from the same organization.
0: so critics are worried that possibly there will be more material from you uh, approved eventually. Yes,
1: yeah, so that was the, one of the main arguments. The second argument made was that the material itself is not substantial enough to count for the credit. Again, it's about 75 minutes of videos spread out over 15 videos, and uh, that I, it was academically rigorous. Yeah, right? so that yeah. was the criticism. The, yeah. the, the proponents of this said that these videos are, first of all, the videos themselves are totally neutral, and that they all are engaging and kind of um, you know good for kids to watch, and that they are siloed essentially from what the rest of Prager U's content is, and that they would be moving forward. So that was sort of the contours of the debate. And when the state board took it up, they um, all kind of took that side as well and said that these videos are separate from the conservative ideological content of the organization.
0: It's morning edition on NHPR. This is the New Hampshire News Recap, where recappings of the week's top news with NHPR's Josh Rogers and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Josh, some other legal decisions this week. Uh, a federal judge has dismissed a lawsuit filed by a group of Democratic New Hampshire lawmakers who have been unable to participate remotely in the House of Representatives since the start of the pandemic due to their medical conditions. Now, this has been an ongoing battle. Can you give us a review of that?
2: I can try. The, the docket on this is pretty long. Uh, the case was first filed in 2021 by former House Minority Leader Rennie Cushing. Um, Cushing is now dead. He died of cancer. Um and the argument in that suit was essentially that the House, and specifically uh, House Speaker Sherman Packard, was violating the Americans with Disabilities Act by not allowing medically frail lawmakers to participate in House votes remotely during the pandemic, and you know that essentially that the House's failure to accommodate lawmakers' medical needs placed them at risk of death. That's directly from the lawsuit, and uh, if they wanted to represent their constituents, they should have the right to participate remotely under the Americans with Disabilities Act, A federal district court judge declined to force remote participation. Uh, The case then continued to the First Circuit where a split ruling found Packard had legislative immunity and that House policies, the creation of the rules that govern the House, uh, was a core function of the legislature and therefore not um, susceptible to to judicial review, essentially. Uh, The case returned to a lower court where the lawsuit was... um, was refiled and and uh, changed a little bit in its scope. And the ruling this week by Judge Landy McCafferty uh, did express some sympathy for for what it called what the decision called the plaintiff's legitimate concerns. But you know, Judge McCafferty's bottom line was that the rules governing remote participation are legislative acts and therefore for lawmakers and not any court to sort out. So that's the record. And you know, during the pendency of this case, several plaintiffs. Uh, uh Cushing obviously uh kathy rogers uh, another had you know they both died uh unrelated to i mean uh from cancer uh others uh, plaintiffs they've either retired from the house or lost reelection um so you know mm-hmm. i i think there's only one of the plaintiffs who's still actually a member of the house i, I do think it's important to remember though that this fight did take place mostly when the house was was really pretty evenly divided. So while there are principles around core legislative functions and the prerogatives of the house to set its own rules, in um, separation of powers, uh, you know there were also politics. I mean, the, the the lawmakers least like less likely to to fully show the house were Democrats, and so there's that angle on this as well.
0: Right. Yeah. So I mean, is this the end of the issue?
2: Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, obviously this will be something that, you know, you can presume with every regime change in the House, this is going to be something that's going to be contemplated in the rules. And, you know, the state Senate, obviously a much smaller body, 24 members, 400 member House, the the Senate um, managed to allow remote participation without really any fuss.
0: Okay, uh, so what's been reaction from lawmakers? Have you heard anything else? Uh, from- well,
2: I mean, this—I mean, people are not surprised that this is the outcome. I mean, that was sort of yeah. the way the court decisions were going. I mean, Democrats say that you know, if if there's a new speaker, if they take retake the majority, that you know, this will be something they, they will push for. Um, you know, Sherman Packard sees sure. this as a vindication of his view about the role of the legislature in setting its own rules.
0: All right. We'll have to leave it there. NHPR's Josh Rogers, thank you so much. You're welcome. And the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt, thank you for, for coming in today. Glad to be here. You can find more of their work and all the stories that we talked about this morning, as always, at nhpr.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. And if you missed part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous weeks, you can find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Rick Ganley this is an hpr